Welcome to The Big Deal with Glenn Ferris, episode 25. On today's show, I chat with Heather Steele of Blue Steel Solutions. I've known Heather for quite a while. She's one of those great people I am lucky enough to be able to be around, and I've always made it a point to just check in with her, grab lunch, and bounce ideas off her, really just catch up. And she's insanely smart, insanely well-spoken. She makes a great guest and i just appreciate her so much i can tell that being within range of who she is as a person makes me a better person so she is just so appreciated in my life she's got a website bluesteelsolutions.com and steel is spelled s-t-e-e-l-e a little clever spelling there because that's her last name and On that site, she's got a ton of helpful content for small businesses looking to do some in-house marketing. She's got a lot of resources that we kind of get into a little bit in the episode. Hey, I've got a website also, glennferriscommercial.com. And check out what I'm doing on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. All of that is at Glenn Ferris. And the next couple of days for me is all about wrapping up the last few deals I've got hanging out for this year. And the downtime, uh, just because of the season, deal activity always kind of drops off a little bit. And it's a good time to plan out the year, set some goals, clear the cutter, (laughs) clear the clutter, focus. It truly is a magical time of year. Anyways, thank you for listening, liking, and subscribing. Tell your friends if you like what you hear. And now give it up for Heather Steele of Blue Steel Solutions. No, that sounds great. Yeah. You sound great this morning. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I roll over. It's 1130. And I go to bed early because I I wake up very early and I'm like sitting there reading all the stuff and I'm just like, you want to not go back to sleep? Start reading impeachment news at 1130. And like, I'm not caught up at all. I don't know what's going on. It's a little, it's a... It's a blip, and I'm like, oh, is that what we're doing now? Okay, cool, whatever. Yeah, picking your phone up when you wake up in the middle of the night is like the absolute worst thing you can do to yourself. Unless. You got to keep that nope. phone in the other room. Nope, check this out. Uh, Audible. And just put on a little book that you don't care about. <laughs> I have my my sleep music that I'll turn on. But What's your sleep music? It's just on uh, the Headspace app. It's like oh, a little yeah. Headspace. song. So I did Headspace for a little bit, but then I'm on the Calm. Oh, yeah. I keep getting the ads for that. Yeah. There's somebody. Who was it? Oh, it's, um, what's his name that plays Ron Swanson? That guy. Nick Offerman. Yeah. They have like Nick Offerman reading nighttime stories. (laughs) And that has me really tipped into Switch because I love him and his voice is amazing. So, yeah, I listened to that. I listened to one of those like nighttime stories once. And I don't know what I was expecting, but I got like to about the part where they're like people are on a beach, I think. And then that's it. I'm You're out. out. I'm out. Yeah. Like two minutes. I go to sleep pretty quick. That's nice. I have no problem sleeping. I do have a problem waking up though sometimes. But, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started going to UNT in 2003. That sounds right. So that was 
the did you move to denton in 2003 yes so that's when i moved to denton nice yeah it was august of 2003 yeah that's awesome denton was a different place it was it was so different isn't that crazy yeah i remember the square was just like antique shops and the loophole yeah that's right that's all i loophole was like where you'd have dinner or sweetwater was happening too but it was like around the corner sweetwater was really good at that time yeah um what brought you to well first let's roll back a little bit where did you grow up i grew up in mesquite which is you know uh, 45 minutes from here how was that it wasn't anything i don't know people think it's kind of like hick town but it's kind of suburban yeah it's pretty suburban it's a good place to grow up okay yeah and big high school out in mesquite huge high school yeah big 5a um, yeah. thousands of people <laughs> how big was your graduating class it was about 1200 i think yeah okay yeah it was a pretty big class same here so. came from a very large suburban high school it's so. um it's it's enough of a uh <laughs> atmosphere where the freshman classes are way bigger and then by the time you get to the senior class it's a lot smaller so yeah um but yeah it was a, it was a good experience what would, what did you do in high school I was a band nerd. Yeah, I played me drums. Too. We're like the same person. Yeah, yeah. I was I drum trumpet. captain and yeah. That's awesome. I could actually like really tear it up on a snare drum. <laughs> yeah, so you were snare. That's that's legit. Yeah. That's where they put the good people. Yeah. I and, was actually really good. And marching and all that. I loved it. Yeah. I, I hated concert band. <laughs> I had no time for that. Did yeah. not enjoy it at all. But Let's get out there and tear it up. A put me on a Kevlar head and I could just go to town <laughs> that's awesome yeah so you probably did boa did you uh compete well our our band didn't never make it to anything like that oh, um man. we were huge and fun to listen to but you know we didn't really do but, that well in competitions and that sort of thing got it what i did do is i marched a winter line which had a lot of um, guys that were off season from dca yeah. would come in and, and do a winter line out in arlington dci DCI, DCI. Yeah, 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 DCI, yeah. So what was that? What was, did it have a name? Was it like the... I don't even remember what the name of our group was, but okay. we would travel to like Houston and Austin and compete. And That's cool. It was mostly, you know, college age people and then a couple of us high school kids. Gotcha. So. Yeah, and you had to try out for it and everything. Yeah. I so went in there like... thinking I was a badass, <laughs> you know, tried out for snare, could not cut it with those guys. I oh. mean, these were like... Some of the best people in the Dallas area were marching in this group. Yeah. Um, so then they're like, well, let's try you on bass. I'd never played bass before. And so that was just a disaster, but it was really fun. I ended up doing cymbals for them, which I thought was like, this is going to suck. This is the, now I'm like the peon of the group, but man, it was so much fun. You like I had it. no idea how much fun those guys have. So, <laughs> and just being surrounded by really talented people was awesome. So no, uh, no thoughts to like be a professional symbol player and <laughs> as a career. <laughs> I definitely went through a phase in high school where I thought I was going to be a band director. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that was pretty short lived. You know, I who saw was- the lifestyle of the band directors <laughs> and I was like, no, if I'm going to work that hard, I'm going to make a lot more money than that. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, sucks to be you losers. No. Yeah, going to go I get mean, a real career. <laughs> uh, working from like 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. every day during marching season. No, thank yeah, you. Bratty kids like complaining about not making first chair screw that yeah Yeah. no done 
Wow. You know who else is really into that? Uh, Josh Berthume. Have you ever talked about this with yeah, Josh? Yeah, yeah, I know. He, super he played nerdy. and stuff, too. Yeah, yeah it's su- awesome. Super nerdy in the DCI stuff. So that's cool. Yeah, so I played trumpet, so... Uh, but then I picked up a guitar and was like, I can be in a rock band. And it's it's even more nerdy, kind of, in its own way. So, yeah, that's awesome. But very cool. I learned how to play, like, two chords on oh, okay. guitar, maybe three. That's all That's all there is, right? When I was in college. Pretty and sure that's uh, all there is. Maybe that is all there is. <laughs> but, no, literally, like, I only could play... The three. Like those, like nothing in between or anything, like actual songs. So you play country music is what you're saying. Well, I learned to play the song Let Her Cry <laughs> <laughs> on my roommate's guitar. Wait, who was that? I can hear it in my head. Let Her Cry. It was Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish, yes. yeah. And I would play that over and over again on my roommate's guitar until she finally took it home and left it at her parents' house because she was so sick of me playing that song. Who was that? Darius Rucker. Did that's who that is? Oh, okay, yeah. Still, I would not have pulled that name. Still out. touring that Darius Rucker. That's yeah, awesome. He's, he's out there. So I saw Hootie and the Blowfish at uh, Cynthia Woods <laughs> Pavilion uh, in the Woodlands uh, in like '97, and I'll never forget. They closed with a really great Doobie Brothers song, <laughs> and I was like on the front row. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed by that fact. That's but. so funny. Yeah, Hootie and the Blowfish. So were you like the biggest Hootie and the Blowfish fan? No, it was just an easy song just to play. Just an easy song to play. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, I was like 20 and emotional. And so I guess I just connected with it for some reason. <laughs> That's awesome. So what made you pick like UNT? It was like close. It was right there. Um, my Maybe. best friend went there. And so oh, okay. I had a built-in roommate. Awesome. That was a big part of it. Um, were you at Bruce? No, I came here my sophomore year, so I never lived on campus. I did gotcha. community college okay. in Mesquite and then came out here, so we just moved straight into an apartment. I didn't, I had a dog. Yeah. I didn't really have time for living on campus and all that. So. Yeah. Got your yeah. basics out of the way, yep. some of them. Yeah, some of them. That's and then I pretty much just started over once I got here because I changed my major. So. Oh, what'd you change it from and to? My well, I waited until I was just about done with my all my pre vet. So I was a biology major with a chemistry uh-huh. minor, and looking at you know trying to get into vet school. And my grades really sucked. I was a terrible student. That's a hard path. Yeah, there was there was no way I was never going to make it into vet school. Yeah. And even if I did, I didn't really want to take on all that debt and student loans. I mean, it just seemed ridiculous. And so I switched to technical writing. Yeah, which was a huge jump and like way easy yeah so um, is that and why had you like actual it? real jobs that i could start on immediately which yeah. is awesome um i worked in the tech writing lab on campus oh kind of a fluky you just got a job in there because a friend worked there and then i was like wait i'm actually i kind of get this stuff and it's easy well explain what technical writing is because a lot of people don't know what the difference is it i didn't until okay. recently yeah what is yeah, that i mean so technical writing is mostly documentation kind of how-to type stuff you think of like user guides and that sort of thing that's a lot of what unt was teaching as technical writing at the time um but they were also starting to dip their toe into Technical communication has a big overlap with marketing uh, because it's really all about just communicating with people in the way that they can best receive it, and which is really what marketing is too. Uh, so they were starting to teach like website design and development and a little bit more of um, like print design and, and writing copy and that sort of thing. So I got some exposure to that. 
there was really only about four classes for undergrads at that point. Um, and so there wasn't a whole lot for, for me to get to do. But the job market, this was 2005, I guess. So the job market was great for technical writers. We had no idea what was about at to come moment, yeah. at that very slim moment in time. So I was able to work at places like Computer Associates and Match.com and Core International and get like contract jobs. So I was still in college learning how to do all this stuff. Wait, so what do they need a technical writer for? Um, well, at Computer Associates, I had a really interesting assignment to take um, a software manual that had been written for the Y2K switch, right? So it was oh, like, yeah. we're going to mm -hmm. take mainframe computers and switch them from the 1900s to the... 2000s gotta set the time everything's gotta, re gotta blow the up yeah. so they they developed all this software to test in advance because nobody knew how that was actually going to go so then after everything switched over they were like well now we have this software that's useless so they gave <laughs> it to me and they were like read this user guide figure out something else this can do and then rewrite the user guide for it what and so i came up with let's Instead of having this test just for changing, you know, the date, let's test across time zones. Oh, let's test yeah. across, you know, okay. if we're going to take a, a system down and then put it back up in a different year, that sort of thing. So I got to rewrite, and I don't know if they ever actually used it because it was just an internship, but I got to rewrite the whole user guide for that. Oh, wow. Which then was supposed to guide the marketing department on how to sell that. That is fascinating. It was a really cool opportunity. And I stayed there. I did two different internships there, and I contracted with them for a while. So so what is that like? You go into the office, and you just have piles of paper, and you're typing away? Like, is it coming from your brain, or are you taking words that are, are already there? Like, what does a day in the life of a technical writer <laughs> look like? Um, it seems so in that bizarre time, and foreign to me. In, like, in that little space of time, especially at places like CA that were huge, um, yeah. technical writing departments were massive. Lots of duplication of efforts, not very efficient. <clears throat> um, this is a big part of why they were like one of the first departments to go uh, <laughs> when the crash hit. Some foreshadowing. Um, and so it was. It was kind of boring. The typical work was really pretty boring um the stuff imagine. that i liked was you know if you were if you were in a position where you were kind of starting a document then you got to sit down with the subject matter expert get all the information from them and then flesh out got you it. know the outline and what was going to come out of it and then it would go through different layers of editorial and formatting and got you know it. go through like a standards uh, make sure that all the brand standards were met so there was a lot of um, duplication of work and stuff that I just found really boring. So I was lucky enough to be able to get this project that kind of let me take a project from beginning to finish, which is now more of what a typical technical writer probably does. Yeah, um, I don't do that anymore, so I'm not sure. Um, from from working there, and then I did. I don't know if you know what a core international is, but they own like hotels. Oh yeah, um, okay. they used to own like Red Roof Inn, and then they also have Sofitel. Um, it's based in France. And so anyway, got to do more of kind of the same thing with them and saw that this was like not what I wanted to do. Super boring. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, but I was able to take that experience and get a gig at Match.com doing a little bit of documentation for them. Mm -hmm. But this was about the time that AdWords were really taking off and becoming a thing. And so they had me come in and start writing some ad copy for them. So that was my first exposure to what a marketing department looks like, what a marketing career might be like. And so I got to help them. 
It was also when they did that big Dr. Phil campaign. I don't know if you remember that. I but don't. I don't. It was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I, was a, I was pretty heavy into MySpace at that time. I right. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it gave me some great experience and just the ability to see what does this marketing thing kind of look like? Yeah. So uh, you started from technical writing, but then got interested more in the creative stuff. Definitely. The yeah. Ad, ad copy. Right. And I was still working through my degree at this point um, oh, and okay. just doing these contract jobs while I was in school. Um, and so I, I ended up getting a regular like full-time job at a place called Advanced Data Exchange. They did EDI, which is like basically electronic um, invoicing and purchase orders between small businesses and big businesses. And they brought me into their marketing department which ended up really just being me. <laughs> and so by the time I graduated, I was their marketing director. What did they do? They provided the interface that would let like a small mom and pop do EDI, these electronic interchanges with companies like Walmart and Home Depot and big organizations that expected everything to come in electronically and automated. So what's EDI? I'm sorry. I'm... So EDI is electronic data interchange. Okay. 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 So it. Um, it would be like, and I'm sure that there's still a version of this used now. It's, I've been out of that industry for so long. But let's say Walmart wanted to order some widgets from you, right? And you're just kind of the small business. You don't have like a big technical infrastructure. Um, they would not want to just send a paper PO or a fax PO and then wait for yours to come back. They want all this to be done electronically and automated. Got it. At that time, it was very costly for these small businesses to set up and actually do that work, um, you know, to be able to it's interchange kind of, with them. Yeah, kind of like so we QuickBooks provided a platform. Did. Like QuickBooks kind of has that built yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. Or like, if you even think about like email, right? It was yeah. kind of like an email platform for them where they weren't having to go and like build their own software to do it. Got they were it. able to just sign up and Got use it. our platform. So you were their marketing department. Mm -hmm. And what did that entail? Like trying to write like what this thing does to help sell it or? Lots of content, okay. um, doing the, you know, the website, Supporting their sales team. Um, Got it. That was a really great experience for me because a lot of people start out in marketing. They're very isolated. Mm -hmm. They're kind of in their own little world of like just working with marketing people. Yeah. But I was really more part of the sales team. So I got to understand, okay, my job is to generate leads so that these people can close them. And I need to make sure they have everything they need oh, wow. to close those deals. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was a lot of email marketing was taking off at that point. So I did a lot of that. Um, the website, you know, optimizing for search. Wow. Yeah. Um, all the things that we still do today, but those were actually like super effective then. Yeah. And yeah. that was like ground level. That was kind of when, wasn't when, like, I think at that time, like, SEO could just be really hijacked on the back end. There were like oh, kind of yeah. no rules. Like you could just throw tags in there, yeah. put stuff like in white text on the page. Which was super not good there for the internet. There were terrible things that I did, but we ranked really well. Yeah, good yeah. job. So you just hacked the internet when there were no rules and it was the Wild West. Yeah, basically. yeah. It was That's super cool. fun though. And, um, but like you know, that type of marketing and that sort of thing. Too. That type of marketing wasn't really being taught in marketing classes at that time. I mean, it was like no. people were making it up as they were going pretty much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of just read what's on the blogs and yeah. see what I can do and try not to break stuff. And see what other people we were doing. so early to it that we actually got invited to come speak at Dreamforce, which is like the big Salesforce conference. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we got invited to come and like present what we were doing and. That's so, crazy. Yeah, it was pretty cool That's to awesome. get. 
I think it was a great way to start out because so many people, even far into their career in marketing, they don't get what their job really is with yeah. brand recognition and lead generation. Yeah. Because they're so kind of in their own head in this marketing world. Mm-hmm. They forget that it's really about, we need sales. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. So where were you when it all fell apart? <laughs> <laughs> I got my job at ADX like three months before everything went crazy. Oh no. And, and what, so I, and I was pretty well protected. I mean, was this really 06, 07 or it was 07. Yeah. Um, maybe right really at the bad. beginning of 08. I can't remember exactly when I got on there, but it was, it was computer associates had started laying people off and I was still kind of doing some contract work for them, which was when I was like, okay, I need to get in somewhere and yeah. make myself really valuable <laughs> before there's no chance of me getting a job. Yeah. And I was a student, so I was, you know, a cheaper hire. And so it was pretty easy to get in there. And um, once they saw what I could do for them, they weren't going to let go of that. Oh, cool. So you didn't yeah. like end up at a Starbucks working no, okay. no. I stayed there <laughs> till kind of the bitter end. We had a CEO that sunk the ship with some pretty bad financial decisions. Awesome. Um, but That's I stayed cool. there and until that happened, and then I found another job. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So what made you decide to form your own company? <laughs> <laughs> I've always been pretty, I guess the word is entrepreneurial, but probably more specifically stubborn, not really enjoying working for other people as much. Yeah, um, It was something that I, I just always knew at some point I'm going to have my own business. Growing up, I wanted to be a large animal vet and I was going to have my own practice. And that was, you know, the vision that I had forever. And um, even thinking, you know, very short term about being a band director, that was like, well, no, <laughs> I'm not going to make any money. And somebody's always going to be my boss. So that's not going to work. Um, so I always kind of held on to this vision. Then it became, okay, I'll have my own like little technical writing firm. And then it quickly became one day I'm going to have an agency. So when ADX went under, I went to a company called Williams Financial Group. And there uh, were an independent broker dealer. And so my job there was to help support their recruiting team to bring on new advisors, but then also to help the advisors with marketing their own individual businesses. And that was a great experience because it was basically like running a little agency from within the broker dealer um, where our advisors didn't really have to pay for what we were doing. But it gave me the experience of managing all these people, managing the projects, seeing what that was like to not just focus on one business, but really helping all these different brands grow at the same time. Um, And it was a it was a good place to work as far as experience goes, but very top heavy. Um, there was some obvious signs that it wasn't going to be a long lasting business. They kept running into issues with the SEC and FINRA. And what is that? Um, so those are the governing bodies, oh, right? Like that the make SEC. Sure, yeah, yeah, the okay. SEC. <laughs> FINRA focuses a little bit more on kind of the, yeah. the marketing side of things, okay. whereas the SEC is like, you know, if they, you're messing up there, you're seeing million dollar fines. Oops, they kept breaking the rules. Yeah, they just, you know, it was a company that had grown really fast and their compliance department was sort of people that had come on as friends of the family and just never (laughs) really quite ran the business right. That sounds like any number of startups today. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they they had the best of intentions. Yeah. But the writing was on the wall. Yeah. It was not going to last forever. So um, I was there when I had my, my second child, Travis. Okay. So I went on maternity leave and things were pretty bad when I left. I mean, it was just 
there was a lot of signs that like this is not going to last a whole lot longer. Maybe they got a couple more years in them. Were you mixed up in anything? Were you no, breaking rules? No, <laughs> no. On my end, you know, we did everything clean. Our, uh, in fact, our compliance, marketing compliance people loved us because we were very above board and did everything the right way. Um, but I went on maternity leave. I had Travis. And about two weeks later, I was out with him in a sling, basically knocking on doors and trying to start a business. I gave myself the eight weeks I was off to find enough work to cover my salary. And what was that work? What did you end up doing? I took on one business in Louisville um, as basically their outsourced marketing director. So I would come in a couple of days a week and act as their marketing director. And then I just found a few other projects and another uh, retainer work to be able to make up enough that I more than covered my salary. Yeah. So when I went back, I put in my notice and let them know that I was done. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you took a leap of faith. It gets a little worse. So <laughs> because that happened so quickly Go and I was super busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were having some problems with childcare just because my daughter was a real like hell raiser at the time. Yeah. And she got she got them kicked out of their daycare. Oh, no. She was not nice to the other kids. So your daughter's the youngest. No, she's the older one. Oh, she, oh, so sorry, I had yeah, the baby yeah. and then a two-year-old. Got it. Okay. Um, so my husband decided to leave his job and stay home and take care of the kids. Oh, wow. So it's like on you. So it was all in. Yeah. Yeah. Make this thing happen. <laughs> so what year was that? Can I... Yeah. So that was 2010. Okay. Got it. And that's how we've been ever since. He's never gone back to work. He's still the stay-at-home parent. And that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And he likes it. He's he's into it. He does. I mean, it, it became a necessity as things progressed with Travis, and we we realized that there was some things going on there, and that he wasn't going to have like a typical development and, and yeah. need a lot of help. And so, in the long run, it was like, thank God we did this, yeah. and we're used to it before it, we had to do it, and before it was one more thing to like shake up our world. Gotcha. Yeah. Set you up good. That's awesome. So it was out of the gate where you called Blue Steel. Yes. Okay. My husband actually came up with the name. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what were those first couple of years like? Like just getting it done, like taking every job you can probably. Yeah. So I, luckily the the people that I was being kind of the outsourced marketing director for, they really paid the bills. Um, I ended up going W2 with them, even though I was only part time. And so that really helped to just keep a steady income. Uh, while everything else was kind of up and down and chasing projects. And so that was that was a huge help. So for about the first three years, I worked with them and um, had that as kind of the steady, this is going to pay the bills. Yeah. And everything else kind of went back into the business to, to keep it growing. That's awesome. Yeah. So what sort of stuff did you do uh, for your your steady, the, the contract gig? I did like everything. Like everything, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything. Lots of digital marketing. They're a manufacturer, And um, especially then, you know, manufacturing was pretty far behind when it came to digital marketing. They didn't really. What do they make? (laughs) Insulation jackets for high temperature machinery, like plastics processing, or even um, like boiler rooms and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it was. Which actually made it a lot easier to to sell the product. To be honest. Yeah, you know, if you need it. (laughs) Not people you would think of to have like a really high level, sophisticated marketing campaign going though. Yeah. And so with them, what we did is we focused on like let's first get the brand in order because it was pretty 
outdated and you know everything just looked like it came right out of the 90s so we, we got their their brand in order and got a lot of great materials made up for them and then we shifted focus to look at their um, distributors because they were mostly sold through distribution they had some direct but most of it was going through um, like manufacturers reps gotcha and so we developed some programs for those guys. So we would run email marketing campaigns, social media campaigns, you know, advertising for them, do everything on their behalf, basically, so that they could sell more of our product. And uh, it, it turned out to be really successful between that and getting their website in order so that they actually had really good SEO going and people were coming into them directly just completely flip the way that they do business. That's awesome. In fact, even to this day, um, after I was done with working there, they had some other people come in that were really smart and understood the digital world. They sell more on Amazon.com than they do even through their reps now. Wow. Yeah, it's just a completely different business model. So did your background in technical writing help you kind of wrap your head around the technical aspect of this? Did that kind of help? Definitely. Definitely. Like I it. think, you know, it's, I'm yeah. always drawn to like complex manufacturing or, um, you know, like weird financial services or things that are just really hard to describe or talk about or <laughs> explain the value of. I'm really drawn to working with those kinds of companies because yeah. it is sort of a niche that I think I've developed and my team, um, you know, brought on another technical writer and taught him how to kind of put on a marketing hat when it comes to technical writing. And so I think that that's something that makes this a little bit unique is like if you have a really hard time explaining what you do in a way that people see value in, then come talk to us. Yeah. Because we can change that. Well, in a lot of ways, isn't that kind of everybody trying to do marketing? Because even people with seemingly simple ideas have a hard time because they're so in the weeds. They can't, right. they don't know what is the simple way to talk about it, I guess. So mm -hmm. I mean, really almost anything is difficult enough for people to convey what they do. Right. Know? Yeah. Or they think they're doing it well, but they're really not. Yeah. They're talking over <laughs> people's heads yeah. or around people or yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. That's really cool. I did not know that. The I never really thought about like the technical aspect of it being so such a bedrock of like the overall philosophy of what marketing really is like mm -hmm. telling those stories yeah you know, that is fascinating so you did that for three years you were there right yeah and through that process started you know worked with some of their reps and kind of built into i did a lot of stuff in heavy industrial manufacturing um i got a, a really great client in the railroad industry and so we do some stuff with them <laughs> and wild. kind of this weird like if i have to put in like earplugs and put on a hard hat to go like see what you do then we're probably going to get along really well <laughs> it's it's kind of this weird niche that so. is so fascinating yeah but so i love it it's that, fun stuff that's awesome so what's like the what would you say at this point would be the most complicated uh, service that you've marketed? Hmm. Well, I don't like to think of any of them as complicated, right? Because we want to make it simple and valuable. Well, what's one that I would be sitting here and go like, huh, what is that again? Okay, so railroad industry. Yeah. Um, all the highway rail grade preemption work. So as you approach an intersection, all the things that happen to make sure that when the train is coming, the arms go down. If the electricity is out, the arms still go down. They yeah. stay down for the right amount of time. They it's come up at work. the right time. Um, <laughs> one of our clients does all of that. 
That's crazy. It's very complex and it's very so, engineering driven and fascinating to me. I love it. So um, I thought that's like that's one of the things that TechStop would do that in house. That's not a state of Texas thing. No, no, they they farm that out to people that specifically only do those things. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. you wouldn't want TechStop doing it. You want the professionals. Yeah, the <laughs> that's people who all do they it, do. That's all they do right. because like the train triggers the things. Right, happening. so there's loops that yeah. go out at certain distances, um, and there will usually be at least two loops so that it catches the first wheel pass and then the second wheel pass and right. it'll calculate how fast the train is going. Oh, and it knows how far yeah. the train is from the intersection. And, puts and the that's how they down. time when the arm should go down. And they've got to coordinate with the the railroad, which is, that's that's pretty difficult to just to coordinate with those folks right and then you've got you know traffic passing over it and yeah there's lots of things to consider so the little house that sits by almost every intersection you got to think about how much is going on in there that requires electricity yeah and the fact that it sits right beside a railroad track which is basically a giant lightning rod yeah and so those things can lose power at any time too wow so yeah, yeah. i mean it's very like complicated but um, I that's love it. Crazy. Every time I go out there, I'm like, show me what you're doing. This is so Yeah, fun. that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cool stuff. I'm not it's pretty engaging. Like, I don't have an, like an engineering mind of like, I could never understand how all of that actually works, but I love it being explained to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can turn it into a value proposition. So how do you find people like that? How'd you get ex- like, were they just like, Oh, we heard you're doing these, uh, like electrical things. Uh, maybe you'd be good at this. Did they call you or were you, how do you get exposed? Most of our business comes through referrals. Okay. Yeah. So early, early days, I went on Craigslist and found people that were hiring in their marketing department and then called them to see if I could offer them services instead. Yeah. Um, but that was really only like the first year. Maybe I did that. And then referrals. Um, we do get a lot of organic traffic to our website or people that meet us on social media. Um, a small percentage of those will turn out to be good clients for us. Um, but most of our good relationships come through referrals. That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. So how does a, well, we'll talk about that a little bit. Like how does a marketing firm market itself to do a specific thing? Like how do you talk about that? Mm-hmm. How do you tell your story? Yeah. Um, not always very well. We're our worst <laughs> client, for sure. <laughs> and I think pretty much anybody in this space would say the same. Um, we do a lot of content marketing for ourselves. So putting, what's that like? So, you know, blog posts, um, articles that are going to generate, hopefully, inbound traffic um, so that people that are looking for specific help can find us. Gotcha. We do a lot on social media, so we're pretty active there and building relationships um, almost more so with people that could potentially refer us than with the actual end customer. Mm-hmm. That's been a lot more successful for us is to get a good referral rather than try to go after like the decision maker. Yeah. Like, um, kind of like what I'm doing with the podcast. Like I'm not going, I'm not trying to get like the, I'm not, this in a hard sell. This right. is just content that people who may need my services someday are going to be into. That's it. Yep. Like, so. Yeah. So, and we, we give away a lot of information. Um, I mean, you probably know we we used to do a ton of trainings and workshops and stuff around Denton. Mm-hmm. Um, we do lots of things like that online, ebooks and templates and all that stuff. We gave all of that away for a long time. And mm-hmm. every now and then it would generate a good lead. 
But for the most part, it was people that really had no budget and were never going to hire us. Oh, yeah. So about two years ago, we flipped the switch on that and started charging for all of that. Oh, and so what's we that have, like? Yeah, um, you know, it's a, it's a trickle of income. It's not something that we've ever really pushed or focused on, like, as a business itself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it helps support some of the other things that we're doing. It lets us continue to create that content. And I kind of have a passion for people that are in that space of, like, just getting started or they're really struggling and trying to figure things out. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to help them just didn't have a way to do it because they couldn't afford our services. So this is a way that we can take kind of everything we would do with like bigger companies and s- distill it down and make it more of a DIY product. And also that is a little bit of technical writing, probably like designing those. Products. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, we have one of our last eBooks that came out about Facebook is like 200 pages long. Oh you know? wow. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of content writing that goes into that. That's and, crazy. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. But then when people, you know, we're charging $50 for that product. And so when people buy it, we want it to really be something that's going to help them understand and create a great plan. So say I'm listening to this podcast, where would you find something like that? Themarketingforge.com. Awesome. T-H-E. So check that out. Forge.com. And like all the products are there. You just like click through, figure yeah, it out. Yeah, like you can kind of sort by what you need, whether it's like figuring out your brand and audience or writing content for your website or figuring out like an inbound strategy. You can filter that and see we've got about, I don't know, probably about 30 products out there. What else do you do? Uh, do you do YouTube or anything like that? Do you have, or yeah, are you just. You know, I'm bad about being consistent with stuff like that. Dude, it's hard. So hard. Yeah, so hard. Um, I used to do a weekly LinkedIn video. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I do articles on LinkedIn at least two times a month. Um, okay. We are in the process of, of doing our own podcast, which is not related to marketing at all, um, but just kind of hits a, an important topic for me. And so we're hoping that'll be launched by the end of the year that's as cool. well. That's yeah. awesome. I think the hardest thing to do is be consistent mm-hmm. and so like think of what you want to do and then divide that by like 10 right that's what you can actually do <laughs> yeah. you know like you got to be really realistic and like the this podcast i just kind of committed like i'm going to do this every week for a year i'll do whatever it takes like that's what i'm going to do it doesn't seem like that big of a deal it's it's like a conversation a week i'm having and putting it out doing it weekly man it catches up with you yeah i'm gonna i'm about i'm almost halfway through uh this is i think i'm I'm gonna post number 23 tomorrow oh so wow I'm getting to be about halfway through and i'm like it's getting to that point you know the holidays are here i'm having to like stack up and mm-hmm. i just i want it to hit every friday 52 times that's yeah. my goal and it's harder than it looks so it is yeah we've got about 10 in the hopper and that's the way to do it get just ahead. finishing those get though ahead, like yeah. getting them approved because we're talking about some pretty personal stuff on our podcast and so yeah. we we want everybody to be able to listen to it and make sure they're comfortable people are talking about like drug addiction and time wow. in prison and wow. lots of real personal stuff so it takes a little while to like have everybody sign off and be okay with it and so make sure we're producing it in a way that really honors their stories too. Yeah. And that's the other we're thing. We're not very professional. So that's the other thing I've kind of realized is like to sustain it when it is a drag, it's, it's gotta have an element of something you kind of are per- personally attached to. Like mm-hmm. it's gotta be something that like fuels you. 
Yeah. You know, so what is that about uh, the podcast that's kind of feeling you? So it's called Thriving Against the Odds. Mm-hmm. And it's stories of people who have either overcome something huge in their personal life while still maintaining their career or business or that are in the thick of it right oh, now. Oh, man, that's crazy. Uh, I, got, I got a couple the of people responses that we've gotten are just like, <laughs> yeah. wow. But people are really Could be excited really to share yeah. their story, you know, and, and it's personal to me because going through having a, a very special needs child and still trying to run a business and, yeah. you know, balancing these things and, and figuring it all out, it's hard. And yeah. not very many people talk about how hard yeah. it can be. Yeah. And then, um, you know, at least two or three times a year, I have a colleague or someone I know through my network that takes their own life because they just can't handle all of this. They're yeah. going through something that they feel like is impossible. And I feel like if we just talked more openly about how hard it really is, not the it was hard, but now I have a million dollars and I'm doing great and I'm an entrepreneur. Talking about what really, really sucks. Yeah. And what are some of the true ways that you clawed your way out? Like, just open the book and really share what things were really like. Then people won't feel as alone and isolated and, you know, it gives you kind of a, okay, I can cling to to this, you know, I can see that other people have, have gone through it and it's going to be okay. Yeah, we kind of live in a world where it seems like everybody is living their best life all the time because we're just glued to the Instagram and the Facebook and we see everyone's best pictures. Yep. And you can go through hard stuff and it really will feel like you're the only person that this happens to sometimes. Exactly. It's like, but that's that's such a fake a uh, sense of like other people's uh, good fortune, you know, it's right. not really how it is. So it kind of sounds like that's what you're tapping into a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Like let's celebrate the ugly parts of this life. Yeah, the reality. Yeah. yeah. Telling Why? people's story is important. It is. Super and, important. and I think that a lot of people have these great stories and they just don't really know how to share them. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's some people that we've started out talking about one thing and then, man, a curveball comes out and it's really. Curve. Ball. Their life is about something completely different. You know so, who'd be good? And great. Just thinking about it. You know Pat Smith. I talk mm-hmm. about Pat Smith all the time. He's got a story that came out, and I was just like, I had no idea. Go back and listen to that one. Yeah, it, I will, and then I'll I'll get you to make an intro. <laughs> it is it is incredible. It's a cool story, and yeah. it's like I did not know that about you. That's awesome. It's really, really cool. You know um, who else I need to get you to make an intro to? I saw that you did an interview with Chief Dixon. He's awesome. I want to talk to him about this year of like, they've been, been through a lot in the department this oh, year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, a lot. man. That was a tough one to talk about. Yeah. There are a couple of things like the 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 child that uh, died in the car. Yeah. Man, it's and at the very same time, the man from the mm-hmm. um, state school. What is that? I don't think I heard about that. You didn't know about that? The state school, um, there was an adult man living there that went missing. And about two weeks later, they found him on the campus dead. And there's still a lot of questions about what exactly happened. But yeah, there was searches for weeks looking for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. And then, of course, the officer that was shot recently. Yeah. So, Man, I'll I'll tell you what, me personally... It's hard for me to 
not hard. Uh, let, me, let me put this a different way. It's stories like that that make me wake up when my alarm goes off at 4 right. a.m. Yeah. And just like, I'm so happy to see the sunrise. You know, it's like, that's why I keep going. It's because yeah. like bad things happen. Yep. And you can't stop it. It's just how, it's how you react to it. That's, you know, that's it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, and that's awesome. I'd love to talk to you. My, my, I don't know if you know this, but my dad was killed in the line of duty. Oh, I did not know um, that. It oh, happened. Wow. Just before I was born. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So crazy. It would be really interesting to me to hear the story from the other side of, you know, obviously the officer survived. Yeah. But just going it. through yeah. that, what is that like from the leadership role yeah, of having one it? of your people hurt and wow. helping the family and helping the department through that? I think it would be really interesting to explore Man. that from the other side. Was he a cop? He was yeah. a cop. Oh, yeah. wow. And Mesquite? Uh, in Dallas. In Dallas. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Do you think that kind of shaped like your idea of like independence? Because you have a lot of just like, it's me. It's me out here. <laughs> like, I got to form my own, you know? Right. Do you think that's kind of where that came from? I imagine. Definitely feeds into it. But yeah. Um, yeah, definitely the way that I grew up made me a very independent, you know, self sufficient to a fault. Yeah. You know, if I'm struggling. I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, definitely had a big, big part of it. So, what's the name of the podcast? That's the most difficult thing to come up with. What, it's called what, Thriving Against the Odds. Oh, you did say that. Yeah. That's right, Thriving Against the Odds. Have you Googled it and made sure there's not another one? Because that's I have. Okay. So as long as they don't publish it before I do, <laughs> we're good. But oh, man. yeah, when we first started out doing this, when um, does it come out? Hopefully by the end of the year. Okay. I, I want to wait until I have those 10 approved and produced and ready to go before I start publishing because I don't want to end up with that slack. Yeah. Um, but we're, and we're kind of calling that like season one. Okay, um, cool. And yeah. so we're recording season two now. I had just a random like person I don't even know come in through the website and book a time for a podcast. I was like, yes, this is oh, working. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, congrats on that. Can't wait to listen to it. I love podcasts. I'm a big podcaster. Yeah, so, yeah. I what, may have to upgrade my equipment after seeing what you have here. We're just doing them by phone, and man, so it's this you is, know this is old stuff. This is all '80s gear. Just well, kidding. It's not. <laughs> it's a little better than a phone call, but well, nobody, nobody that I've interviewed is local. They're all over the world, and so oh, yeah. phone is kind of my only option. I don't even know how to do that. I've tried to. Have you heard the like uh, the phone podcasts that sound like they're in the studio? That's crazy to me, like yeah. how they do that. I've thought about having a mic that I just ship out. Mm -hmm. You like plug this into your phone so you at least get a decent audio and then ship it to the next person, you know? And like have the conversation and you're yeah. recording. You're yeah, because I just, I record on out. Zoom. Yeah, Zoom's you know? great. Yeah. And then just fix the audio as much as I can. I figure if the content's good, the mm -hmm. quality is really not as important. Yeah. I've listened to plenty of great podcasts where people are calling in on crappy phone connections. And it's yeah. still, as long as the content's good, then that's true. Hopefully, people will be forgiving and still listen to it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, I'm looking forward to hearing that one. That's very cool. So, you're also really involved over at Stoke. I kind of think of you as like in that whole crew of young uh, yeah you know i, I was it. when they when it first started and you know we've we've been there for about as long as it's been open now yeah um so you're out the of there last now? year i still have a desk there yeah i go sometimes um to be totally honest with with my son it's just so hard for me to be 
away, especially in the evenings or, you know, at the happy hours and stuff. It just doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. Um, he's really, it's best when there's two people at home to take care of him. Yeah. And so yeah. I've kind of cut, my work week is about 20 hours now. Oh, okay. Um, which is crazy <laughs> to run a business on 20 hours a week, but it's what I have. And yeah. um, the rest of the time, it's really, you know, devoted to taking care of the family. So I've, I've gotten less involved over there and, um, but you still do like the lunches and the, I mean, I still yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, I do those sometimes. Yeah, you're always uh, kind of doing a seminar or something over there. Yeah, like. yeah, whether it's there, we do a lot more kind of online or, or moving okay. more into like Dallas and just where there's more of our target audience. Yeah, you made a pretty big move in that direction a year or two ago. Yeah, it seems like yeah, we were a couple of years that. ago, I started spending yeah. a lot more time outside of Denton. Yeah. Um, you know, our business grew. We had one local client, the the big ones in Louisville, but then everything else was kind of spread out all over the country. You know, yeah. lots of people in the New Jersey, New York area. We had a great referral network there, people in California. Um, so a couple of years ago when we decided, let's try to get more local business, you know, like people we can actually sit down with and work with face-to-face. -face. You know, we, we focused more south of the bridge. Um, yeah. There's great businesses in Denton. They're just not all our ideal, you know. It's <laughs> yeah. they're well, a little it's a smaller, small, you know. Yeah, they're just not quite pond. ready. Yeah. Um, but we have we have great resources for them now that they can get on the marketing forge. So it's um it's a good way to serve our community still, but you know keep the lights on at the same time. <laughs> and wh where was that place we were hanging out at? I came to lunch. Oh and you yeah, were La Cima me. Club. Yeah, that place yeah, is that's cool. Great. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. A great spot. That's very cool. But you kind of got involved over there with a bunch of folks, like. Weren't you doing stuff over there for yeah, folks? And, yeah, yeah. So we did um, we did some some cool like lunch workshops and stuff out there, yeah. and just trying to spread out a little bit more, you know, get into other communities. So if you were going to give someone like the key to networking, because you're kind of a master networker, mm -hmm. what what would you say to someone who was just like, tell me what it's all about? Give me the give me the key. What is yeah, it? Yeah, it's all about putting yourself last. Mm -hmm. Make connections between other people. Yep. When you meet someone, the last thing you should be doing is trying to sell yourself. You need to find out what their greatest need is and connect them with someone that can fulfill that. That is crucial. It's like, uh, it's not the intuitive answer. People think networking is like, how many cards can I hand out? That mm -hmm. no, ain't about you. No, get those yeah. cards and use them <laughs> to make connections to other people. Yeah. When you become the person that's the bridge between someone and their success or solving a big problem, then they will always come back and want to fulfill the same thing for you. And how'd you figure that out though? Because not many people know yeah. that. I don't come across beating the many people that like get to that point that quickly. You obviously, you yeah. know it. I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. It's kind that's, of all, how I've always that's crazy. operated. So I like, so I kind of get off on being like, I know who can do that for you. Yeah, yeah. I got the right, per like, yeah, we're yeah. going to solve this problem yeah, yeah. right now. Problem solver. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it is just my personality is to like want to put the pieces together. Yeah. Um, and then okay. obviously when you see that coming back of like, thank you so much, by the way, here's yeah. all these people that I've told about your business and what you can do for them, then... You know, I kind of figured it out in the uh, music industry. It mm -hmm. was like, you don't, the people who are all about passing their CD out, like people hate those people. Right. Yeah. But if you can connect somebody and mm -hmm. you can be depended on to be like the guy that does this, yep. then you, your network builds and grows. And 
music industry is 100% networking. Yeah. You know, any idiot can do it. You just got to be networked. So, oh, um, I'm sure. Yeah. That's, you know, and I think that's another thing. Being in marketing is like, so ambiguous for one thing like marketing can be so many different things to so many people right and so being the person that stands out as just being like a good person a good connector a good problem solver is a lot more beneficial than them remembering that like oh she's really good at building an email drip campaign you know like that means nothing to most people yeah that's crazy so what's the big thing in your future what you got going on what's the what's the next big thing you're going to tackle Hmm. What would you say? Well, we've got the podcast. The podcast so hopefully that's going to be a big thing in 2020. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of, every year, it's like the business gets refined and changed a little bit and shaped. And yeah. going into 2020, I've always kind of been more like growth focused and like adding more people to the team and becoming bigger and bigger projects and this year is more of a switch to like, let's become as efficient and profitable as possible. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think there's this misconception that like, you have to keep building out before you can build up, right? Like people keep adding more to the team, bigger office, like more and more expenses, um, focusing more on like a profit first mentality yeah. of, let's just see how much we can build this thing with what we have make it the very best we can as profitable as possible without having to add more to the bottom line. Yeah. It's kind of where my head's at for 2020. And do you kind of do that during this season, kind of in between Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's? Is that kind of this a cycle for you a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely this time of year we start kind of looking at what works and what doesn't and, and yeah. changing things. So. Wake up January 1st, feet on the ground running. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Anything yeah. else? Did we cover it all? I think so. Um, yeah. Just going to, you know, keep helping people and try to try to keep things going. <laughs> keep figuring out big, complicated things yeah. you can market and talk about. You know, about. the other thing that I really, there is one big thing that I kind of have a goal for myself is to really make speaking a bigger part of my income. Yeah, like um, talking you know, about. I love doing do. keynotes and workshops, and I've always done it for free. Yeah, and I think that um, just you know to kind of toot my own horn, I think I'm pretty good at it. Yeah, so I'd love to are. make that more of a a piece of my revenue, something that you know I'm doing that as a professional service rather than just sure I'll come do it for free and maybe get a lead out of it. Do you get like an agent for that? That like a. I think once I maybe have some people paying me for it i might look into an agent or something but there's a lot of organizations that are just looking for speakers and so a lot of it's just sending out information and you know seeing who has a good fit for the kind of stories that i can share yeah a bio and a headshot you know yeah yeah just kind of have a speaker sheet with some information about my talks and so we've been sending that out a lot and getting some good feedback so hopefully this coming year will be a, a good opportunity to make that more of what I'm spending my time on. It's awesome. You could write a book. Yeah, you I've actually been approached thing. by a publisher to write a book. Why aren't you doing that? Um, well, the publisher was not. That was like. It was a little dinky. <laughs> <laughs> not big <laughs> was like, enough I'm going to put a lot of work into this and never <laughs> see a penny. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something, you know, I'd love to take the stories that I'm getting from the podcast and turn it into a book oh, for sure. Yeah. 
Definitely. That's always a cool thing to do, like create like the narrative and then have the have, yeah. have the book to print. It's like and chicken soup for the really scared entrepreneur soul. Uh-huh. Man, I like that. I love that concept. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Would totally listen to that. Totally listen to it. Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on and spending time. This has been awesome. Yeah, this was fun. Did you hear that? This is fun. It really is. Having a blast. And I hope you are too. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.